Sounds good. Good morning, good morning. Good to see you all this morning to worship the Lord and share life together. We worship God and get in his word today and encourage one another. We're actually in a place we're going to just kick right in in our presence of the Lord and we're going to ask you guys to stand as we read God's word over us this morning. We prepare our hearts. Worship the Lord. From Psalms chapter 66, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you, and they sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Let's worship in this morning. Sing. You will cheer me on 
before I pray, before I pray, I just want to uh, let you know that one of our members this week passed away, Jack Lee. And uh, we just want to let you know as a congregation, pray for this family. So grateful for his ministry here. As we prepare our hearts to celebrate communion after the, after the message, I want to read from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, and through the greater and more perfect tent made with hands, that is not a he entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression of the And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Father, our hope is built on nothing less He is the mediator of a new covenant. And for those in this room who have repented and turned to Him, He forgives. His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We rejoice this morning because of the finished work of Christ. Father, I pray that this morning we would hold fast to those wonderful truths, that we would hold fast to our Savior. Lord, may our love not grow Keep our hearts and give us grace to always honor and love our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is because of Him that we are able to approach you through the grace of worship you, to cry out to you, Abba, Father. Lord, we do that. We do that in a number of ways. We do that for Jack Lee's family. We ask God to comfort him years ago in this time. For all of us in this room, in some family member. Lord, we know that in Christ, that death is not the final word. Lord, there's hope. We gather this morning because of our hope in Christ. We gather because we know that one day we will be in your presence. Our sovereign creator, our God, the one who has loved us and purchased us with your blood. I want to thank you. This morning as we pray, Lord, we pray for many things. We think of missions and we think of the world around us and the need for the gospel. I pray this morning for the Masters Academy International who is responsible for training pastors around the world. We pray, Lord, for those training grounds in different countries in Malawi and Honduras. Europe and other continents, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the gospel would go forth and men who are equipped to preach the gospel, that they would be equipped so to, to reach their nations and their countries and their continents. God, we pray that the gospel would continue to go forth, that every tribe and nation would hear your truth. Father, we think of those in our community, we think of the churches in this community. We lift up to you this morning, Young Meadows and uh, Pastor Jesus. Lord, uh, some challenges they've had in the past, and I pray that you would continue to be near to Jay as he 
Grant him wisdom as he shepherds those people. And I pray for those meadows that he would be salt and light in the season. God, he would continue to use them to grow in their strength and their faith and their love for one another, that there would be unity in that congregation. And you pray for Jay, Lord, as a pastor, that he would shepherd well, Lord, that Lord, you would give him strength and energy, and that he would know your presence and your peace. Father, I think of the ministries in our own church. Her faithfulness to the children's ministry. Thank you for the time and effort that she puts into that and to all those who volunteer in the nursery and with children in ministry. Father, I pray for the children in this church that they would grow up to know you as Lord and Savior. Do a work in the hearts of our children. We see a new generation raised up and to be sent, sent, whether it's in the home backyard but also be a witness to you. And so I just pray, God, you bless Molly, bless those who volunteer, help us to continue to share the gospel with our children in our homes and in the church, and that that truth will take root in our hearts. Father, as we anticipate the preaching of your word from Brady, give us some listening ears and seeing eyes. Lord, I pray that you would anoint him, and as he shares with us from First Peter, as he preaches the word, Lord, we would hear and we would understand that, Lord, it would bring us to conviction of sin. It would give us hope as we were reminded once again of the gospel of who you are and that we would be this place in Jesus. And so, God, I just pray that you would use your word now to transform our heart and that we would prepare our own hearts even to come to the table after the preaching of your word and to receive with joy, but also with intentional introspection, Lord, of where we are. And if we need to confess sins, Lord, we would confess. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can gather this morning to worship you. Use your spirit to draw us closer to yourself. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Mr. Tom and Miss Jennifer, right out these double doors here. First to fourth graders, you're welcome to go to kids' worship with Mr. Tom, Miss Jennifer, and parents. Just a reminder at the end of the service, you got to pick them up directly in the blue hallway in the back of the gym building. Now, as the boys and girls are headed to kids' worship, I'm going to just look, ask you to find 1 Peter chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word. If you're new to Gateway or visiting with us this morning, we're in a year-long journey through 1 Peter, going verse by verse, trying to mine the depths of what you see in this amazing letter. We're 30 weeks into our 52-week journey and seeing so much in this. As we come today to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 13 and 14. We come to a new section of Peter's writings here. In it this morning, you're going to see a topic that Peter has already been addressing, and that's the topic of suffering. And though he's mentioned it several times in passing, and he'll mention it again, we come today to his longest treatment on the topic of suffering. He's going to do nine verses of this section about us as Christians and the topic of suffering, how we stand firm in God's grace as we walk through suffering, how we live as God's people even when life is hard. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be exploring this section about suffering. Now, these nine verses we're going to be looking at over the next month will be challenging for us, friends. They're not challenging to understand. They're very clear and very straightforward. But if we're honest, they're very challenging to live out. But it's the perspective that Peter is calling us to, that God is calling us to right here, is not one that we will naturally have. It's not one that we often see modeled. So it's going to call us to a whole different way of looking upon sufferings. So in light of that, friends, I want to ask you this morning... 
when you have been through suffering in your life, or when you've walked alongside people who have been through suffering, what is the normal reaction to it? What is the normal response when suffering and hardship comes? But then even more, friends, when you think about the potential of having to endure suffering in the future, how do you feel about that? What happens in your heart when you think about the thought, the prospect of future suffering? Now, for many people, the experience of suffering in the midst of it or the thought of future suffering produces in us fear, produces in us anxiety and worry. We fear the suffering itself. We may fear the hands of those who cause the suffering if it's from others. We fear the unknowns of the future and the potential pain we may have. And friends, though that is a natural response, though that is a very common response to suffering, God has a better path for us when we endure hardships in this life. See, God's path for us, his better path is not a path that is free of suffering. You've heard me say it many times, you could probably quote it by now. But God's plan for us is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. God has a path for us, a plan for us that is much better than that. And we're going to see that over these nine verses of this section over the next several weeks. As we begin this morning with 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Peter begins this section on suffering by showing us how not to respond to suffering. He's showing us what we're to put off, what we're not to do, the normal response of fear. He's going to show us to put that off. And so as we read these two verses this morning, look not only for his call to put off fear when it comes to suffering or thoughts of suffering, but look for how do we do that. Because this is so countercultural, so counterintuitive, and yet God gives grace for us to do this, and he's going to show us how we do that here. So how do we put off fear when we encounter sufferings? So 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We have a treasure that God has given to us, and I want us to cherish it. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We will also have the words on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Now, who is there to harm you? If you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we're thankful when you give us texts like this to take us outside of our comfort zone, to call us to embrace the realities of this life, but realities we can face by your grace. And so I pray this morning, Lord, for the brothers and sisters who are in the midst of sufferings right now. That God, that you would comfort them, that they would have their hearts turned to the things of you and they would find hope. Lord, for those of us who are in easier seasons right now, I pray that we would not assume that'll be the norm, but you'd use this text today to prepare us for whatever you're going to call us to walk through as we go through this life on this earth. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's what I want you to see this morning, and then we're going to unpack it. Here's the main idea of this text today. It's simply this, friends. There's no need to fear suffering since it cannot thwart God's blessings for us now and forever. There's no need to fear suffering because it cannot thwart God's blessings for us now and forever. And the natural response to suffering is fear. Fear of the pain, fear of the hurt, fear of the unknowns, fear of those who may cause suffering. Yet God is calling us to a very different response. A response not of fear, but a response of trust and of trusting in him, particularly trusting in his promises to bless us now in the midst of suffering, his promises to bless us eternally forever. You see, friends, the hardships that we face do not stop God's blessings from coming to us. No amount of suffering or hardships can thwart God's plan or stop his blessings. So I want us to unpack that truth this morning, that there's no need to fear suffering 
either sufferings we're in now or sufferings that may come, because they cannot thwart God's blessings for us now or forever. So to see that, let's start again with the reality of suffering. That's where this, this text starts. We've seen this idea before, but Peter drills it in again for us. So look back at verse 14 of our text today and notice how this verse begins. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. Now just pause right there. The you here is written to believers, to Christians, to anyone who claims the name of Christ, those who know God and are loved by God. And he's reminding us that we will face sufferings in this life. I we remind us, sufferings in this life can be caused by different things. Some of the sufferings we endure just come from the brokenness of the world, from the effects of sin and the curse. That can be sickness, that can be disappointments, that can be injustices, friends, that can even be death of a loved one or a friend. Just as we deal with a sinful, fallen world, we can feel sufferings from that. But a second cause of the sufferings can be because of our faith in Christ, because we know Christ and love Christ. These are the persecutions and the sufferings that come from those who do not love Christ and hate those who do. This can be what we saw recently of reviling. This can be insults. This can be being mocked. This can be resentment. This can be being shunned because of our faith in Christ. This can be even being martyred for for knowing Christ. That is particularly what Peter has in view here. In verse 14, notice this phrase, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... He's driving in the point that we as Christians will encounter sufferings in this life because we know Christ, because we are righteous. Now, we saw this last week, but let me remind us, we are righteous not because of anything we have done. We are righteous by faith, because when we put our faith in Christ, God gives us a new standing before him. He takes our sin, puts it on Christ, what we're going to celebrate in communion, but he takes Christ's righteousness and applies it to us. So we approach God the Father clothed in Christ's righteousness. But as we saw last week, friends, if we are declared righteous by God, that change in our standing will produce change in our lives as well. There will be transformation that happens because we are righteous in God's sight. We will find our affections stirred by the Holy Spirit to want to practically live out how God sees us. So we'll find holiness growing in our lives. And so, friends, the more we love God, the more we understand we're righteous in His sight, the more we will see that practical righteousness grow, and the more that will put us at odds with the surrounding world. And the terms we've already seen in Peter's letter, it'll make us strangers and aliens. It'll make us like exiles in a foreign land. It'll make us different. And the reality is the lost world does not like people who are different, who love Christ and stand up for God's truth and God's unchanging will. That's why Jesus warns us. If we go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus tells the disciples, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And a few verses later, in verses 21 and 22, he says, We'll even go as far as brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and the children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Because we love Christ, the world will hate us, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And as I was reading and studying this week, one of the authors I read said it so well. He said, Even though God's eyes are on the righteous, It may nevertheless be God's will that the righteous suffer at the hands of those offended by righteousness. Even though God's eyes are on the righteous, it may nevertheless be God's will that the righteous suffer at the hands of those who are offended by righteousness. So friends, as believers, as we walk through this life, we will suffer because it's a a sinful, broken world. We're also going to suffer because of our faith in Christ. But there's a third type of suffering we can endure, and this is not to what Peter has in view here. That's when we suffer because of our own sin, because of our own sinful choices, our own 
foolishness. That's why Peter is clarifying here back to verse 14. If we should suffer for righteousness' sake. He is not saying we're going to be blessed, we're going to experience blessing of God if we make sinful choices and we suffer for this. This is suffering because we're in a sinful world. This is suffering because we know Christ. These are sufferings that we go through as we seek to love God and live for him. Now, as we think about that reality of suffering, that raises a question for some, and that's how does that square? How does that reconcile with verse 13? Look at verse 13 and the question that Peter asks. He says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, friends, I've been studying this week. I've been really troubled by how many people answer this question. I've been really troubled by how people who are pretty solid come down in this verse when they ask this question. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? The argument that's very popular when explaining this verse is that, listen, what Peter is saying to you is if you will just pursue good and do good as a whole, the lost world will accept you and love you and your life will pretty much be okay. But in case there is the exception of suffering, Peter then tells you what to do in the unlikely event that it happens. Friends, that's the dominant view of interpretation for that verse, and I'm I'm confident that is so wrong. That's not what this verse is teaching us, is that if you're just basically good, the world will be good to you. If you're just kind to the world, the world will be kind to you. Friends, that's not what this is about. Suffering is not the exception of the life of the church. Suffering is the norm for the life of the church. Go back to verse 13 here. He says, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? This word harm here is the same word that we saw last week, the word for evil, in the previous verse, the Greek word kakos, evil. Some will, who will do evil to you is the question that is being raised. The reality is, friends, the world is full of people who do evil. Go back to verse 12. We saw this last week. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do kakos, who do evil. And he follows it up in this next verse, what we just read today, that who is there to do evil to you. He's telling us that the world is full of evil people. They will do evil to you, but don't worry. God is a just judge who will take care of that at the end of time. But until then, God's people will be afflicted with evil. You see this in the way this word is used in other parts of Scripture. For example, Acts chapter 7, verse 6. In Stephen's message here, he describes the sufferings of God's people in the Old Testament times. He uses the same word here. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring will be sojourners of the land belonging to others, and they would enslave them, and this word afflict is the same word for evil. They would do evil to them for 400 years. So the, what we see in the Old Testament is God's people have evil done to them. Here it lasted not just for a short season, but for 400 years. Later in Acts, in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, you see the same word again. About that time, Herod the king laid, it says violent, but it's the same word, kakos, laid evil hands on some who belonged to the church. Friends, as you look at that in Acts 7 or Acts 12, this is not a promise. If you're just good to the lost world, the lost world will be good to you. The testimony of Scripture is that God's people are afflicted by evil even as they seek to do good. That's why Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples, he never taught his disciples, hey, just be nice to other people and they'll be nice to you. Do good in this life and you'll have good done to you. No, he tells his disciples in John 16, verse 33, I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, but in the world... You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has never promised us an easy life. So why do so many people take verse 13 as the saying, oh, look, you're going to basically be okay in this life? Because, friends, there's such a longing in our hearts for an easy life. Because there's such an expectation in our culture that we can just get affluence and peace and prosperity if we just work hard as it. 
And so if we're not careful, we can look at Scripture through that lens and take verses like verse 13 and interpret them as, look, God is telling me if I just work hard, I'm going to have a pretty easy life, but that's not what it means. So what does verse 13 mean? We'll go back to it. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, in the Greek, this is a rhetorical question. Peter has implied the answer. The answer is no one can harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But what does that mean? That is not at all about earthly harm. This is not a promise that if you seek good, no one will be able to harm you. This is a promise, but it's a promise about eternity, that no one can eternally harm you. If you do good, in other words, if you are one who has God's saving grace, has produced transforming grace, that you are now living for God, and that gives you hope because God has saved you, who can eternally harm you if you belong to God? As Peter does throughout his letter, he's looking to eternity. He's looking to that inheritance that has been promised to us, and it's telling you that inheritance cannot be taken from you. Your fate is safe. Your eternal destiny is safe in the hands of God, and no one who persecutes you or hurts you in this life can take that from you. That's what Paul teaches as well in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now notice what comes next. It's a list of the hardships that God's people go through. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Friends, that's not a picture of a life that for the most part will be okay if you're just good to other people. That is a picture of a life of people who love God, who face much sufferings and struggles in this life. It goes on in verse number 37. No, and all these things, and these things and all these sufferings that God's people endure, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers can, verse 39 here, can separate us from the love of Christ, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We will face hardships and sufferings in this life. There will be pain. One of the authors I really enjoy in First Peter's name's Tom Schreiner. He was a professor at Southern Seminary where I went. He said this. He said, suffering stalks the believer until the present evil age comes to an end. I thought that was good. Suffering stalks the believer until the present evil age comes to an end. Friends, that image just is sticking with you. You look at what Paul is saying. You have all these things that God's people go through. You look at the Old Testament, all the sufferings that God people's endured. You look at the New Testament, people who love God and gave their lives to God, the sufferings they endured. And you look at church history and all the people in the different cultures of the world who love Jesus, but suffering stalks them until this present evil age comes to an end. But Peter's telling us here in verse 13 is, who can harm you? If you're zealous for good, he's saying no one can, but this is not about harm here. We see that in Romans. There's much harm here, but they cannot eternally harm us. They cannot ultimately succeed. Sufferings cannot ultimately hurt the believer. Because the day we see Jesus face to face, they'll all go away. The day we see Jesus face to face, there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more trials. All that will be gone. But in the meantime, verse 14, if you should suffer for righteousness sake. But in the meantime, while suffering stalks us in this life, we will face suffering for knowing Christ for righteousness sake. So it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So when we face sufferings, how will we respond? When we think about that thought of potential future sufferings, how will we process it? How will we respond? And he tells us here, there's two imperatives, two commands in verse 14 that tells us God's will for how we respond to these hardships in life. Look at back at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. And here are the two commands. Have no fear of them, nor be 
troubled. So how do we not respond? What do we put off when we think about future sufferings, when we think about current hardships? Number one, we put off fear. We're commanded to have no fear. Our natural response when life is hard, we feel pain, is to be fearful about it. But we're told not to. It's a fun expression in the Greek language in which this was written. Verse 14, this phrase literally says, the fear of them do not fear. The fear of them do not fear. Now, this is significant. If you read the New American Standard, it's actually in all caps here because he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. Now, there's a reason for this. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12, this is what he's adapting this from. The prophet Isaiah tells God's people, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So not to be in fear of those who are hurting them. Now, this is significant because when Isaiah wrote this, there was much that God's people could fear. There was the foreign king as well as the northern kingdom of Israel that was oppressing God's people. They were threatening to remove the king of their nation. Life was uncertain. There was potential attacks coming. In the midst of all the uncertainty, God told his people at the time, do not dread, do not be in fear. Now, why would Peter point back to Isaiah's prophecy so long before when writing to these early believers in Asia Minor? Because it's showing them that they were not the first people to endure sufferings because they know God. Though long before them, God's people had already endured sufferings as well. And in the future, more people would do that. They're not unique in their struggles in walking with God. But he's also pointing back here because these verses show how we overcome that fear. And Peter's going to reference this in our text next week. But I want you to go and see it. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. The very next verse is saying, do not be in dread. He says, but, here's how you do not be in fear. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. He's saying, put off fear of suffering. Put off fear of those who might hurt you. He said, fear God instead. He's saying, fear of others is a misplaced fear. Fear of suffering is a misplaced fear. Fear of the future is a misplaced fear. The only fear that we should have in believers is a holy, reverent fear of a holy God. This is, in fact, what Jesus has told us as well. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. We looked at some from Matthew 10 earlier, but Jesus says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. He's pointing to the ultimate justice that Peter keeps pointing us to, or hidden that will not be known. Now, verse 28, two verses later, notice what he says. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We're not to have misplaced fear and sufferings. We're not to have misplaced fear in the future. We're to only fear a holy, reverent fear of God, not our suffering. So we're told when sufferings come or you think about possible sufferings, do not be afraid of it. Do not fear. The second command, though, go back to verse 14 this morning. Notice the very last phrase, nor be troubled. So not just don't fear, don't be troubled. Now, this word in the Greek, to be troubled, means to be shaken up, to be disturbed, to be frightened. It has an emotional component to it. You're feeling emotional turmoil over the situation. And isn't that what happens when suffering comes? We feel this emotional distress, this shaken up, this being frightened. In fact, this is the exact same word that's used in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. In the fourth watch of the night, he, Jesus, came to them. Now, the disciples are in a boat. Jesus comes walking to them on the sea, on the water. Verse 26, and when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they weren't like, oh, this is amazing. Look at this wonderful miracle. When they saw Jesus walking on the water to them, they were, same word here, they were terrified. They were troubled. They were shaken up. They were disturbed. They were frightened. They were in emotional turmoil over it. And they cry out, it's a ghost. And they cried out in 
fear. Isn't that what we do in sufferings, the way the disciples responded there? We feel this emotional, emotional turmoil. And Jesus says to us, and Peter says to us, do not be troubled. That's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 1, same word for troubled here. Let not your hearts be shaken up, disturbed, frightened. Do not let your hearts be in emotional turmoil. How do you not do that? Believe in me. To trust in him, to have faith that God is who he says he is. It's what we just sang about right before this sermon. God, you're constant. God, you're sovereign. God, you'll not forsake me. Those are the very truths that we're to be believing in, that God will do what he has said he will do, even in the midst of our sufferings. And what does God promise to do as we endure sufferings? We'll go back to our text this morning to verse 14, and he tells us in the middle of it. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't miss this, friends. The promise in the midst of all this is our faithful God who always does what he says he will do is promise to bless us even as we suffer. That means suffering does not mean God has forsaken us. And that's why we sang what we sang right before the sermon. Not for a moment will you forsake me. When we have suffering, it doesn't mean God is unhappy with us. Rather, it means God is blessing us when we suffer for following him. And friends, don't miss the significance of this blessing. It's not a blessing from your friends. It's not a blessing from other people. This is a blessing from the creator, your redeemer, the great I am is promising to bless you. And that is significant and massive. I think we can fly over these texts, oh, God's gonna bless me and miss the wonder of this. Friends, when we're we're suffering and God promises to bless us, this is not that you're gonna open your Chick-fil-A app and have a free sandwich tomorrow because God's trying to give you something nice in the midst of your sufferings. This is not God giving you, oh, I'll give him a front row parking place at the store today because I know he's had a hard day. That's not what this is talking about. The blessings of God are so much richer than things we typically equate blessings with. This is what we studied last week. Friends, when we are blessed by God, we are honored by God. We are privileged by God. We are favored by God. When we are blessed by God, we have the favor of the Almighty on our lives. And Peter is bringing out two different aspects of that blessing. One aspect of this blessing is it's eternal. It's what's still to come. We have God's favor eternally. Go back to verse 13, this question, this rhetorical question he raises. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And the answer is No one, that no matter what sufferings you endure, whether it's the loss of your loved one, whether it's persecution from governments or friends or whatever else, nothing can take away your salvation, that your standing before God is secure, your future hope with him is secure, and no hardship in this world can take that away from you. That's why Peter told us back at the beginning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that we have an inheritance, this is still to come, that is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept And heaven for us, no one, not even suffering, can take this inheritance from us. Then in verse 5, he carries on. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God is holding us. God is guarding us. He's going to make sure we get to the end to get that inheritance. No amount of suffering or hardships or trials can take that from us. It cannot take us out of the hands of God. But notice the connection of that and suffering. The very next verse of chapter 1 and verse 6. In this you rejoice. And what? This inheritance that's to come, this eternal blessing of God, though now, in this life for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Our sufferings now do not take away the hope of heaven. Rather, they increase it. The more sufferings we go through this life, the more we realize the inheritance that we have to come. But friends, even more than that, 
God promises rewards as by his grace we endure sufferings with joy now. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Notice what Jesus said, Blessed, as favors upon you are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Same thing that Peter has been teaching here. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you. Notice the connections to Peter. It's what we saw just a few weeks ago. And persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice. And how countercultural is that? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. As we focus on God's blessings, not only is he saying, yes, you're going to have sufferings in this life, but you have eternity with me. There are blessings that come eternally as we endure sufferings with joy now for the glory of of God. Suffering cannot thwart our eternal rewards. Rather, the opposite is true. Sufferings increase our eternal rewards. But friends, these sufferings are not limited to eternity. There's also, sorry, the, the blessings are not limited to eternity. The blessings are here and now also. So Peter's bringing that out. Think about what we saw last week. Back to verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. This is a reminder that no matter what sufferings or trials we walk through, his eyes are upon us. We saw last week that means we have his presence right there with us, that God is holding us as we walk through the hardships of this life. And we have his help with us as we go through the hardships of this life. We have his ear open to our prayer that in the midst of our suffering, God is not leaving us alone. He's saying, come talk to me. I know what you're going through. Come bring it to me and talk to me about it. I'm here to walk this with you. And friends, what more could we ask for than that? We have the favor of the great I am upon us now and forever. We have the presence of God himself with us now and forever. And that is so much more of a blessing than an easy life right now. We're reminded of all these blessings and God's faithfulness to do them. And notice what happens is when we think about God's blessings in the midst of suffering. Notice what happens. Go back to verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Friends, the more that we understand we are blessed by God, the more we find strength to pursue doing good, even in the sufferings and the hardship. Friends, the, the sufferings and the fear of suffering does not have to control us. The unknowns of what is to come does not have to silence us. God does not allow us to have sufferings to sideline us and make us passive. Rather, they are to equip us and grow us and motivate us and strengthen us to live for him and to bless others as well. Look back at this phrase here. If you are zealous, zealous means to be eager to do something. Friends, even in our sufferings by God's grace, we can be zealous to do what is good. Good here is God's will, obeying all that God has said. And that would include back in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, you may obtain a blessing. Friends, we do not have to fear suffering because we are able to bless others. We're able to be zealous for good in the midst of our sufferings, knowing that God will bless us. Friends, I don't want to put her on the spot, but you heard Rick mention today that Jack Lee passed away this week. His widow was here this morning with us, and she came because she was on the nursery rotation. She came three days after her husband's passing to serve in the nursery this morning. She did that because she finds joy in serving the Lord, and she has her hope in God's blessings. And so I pulled her out of the nursery and have her in the sanctuary here with us today. Friends, that is a picture for us, a model for us. Say, if someone who's in the midst of the sufferings of just the world we live in as her husband's passing is here, zealous to do good today because her hope is in eternity, because her hope is in the blessings of God. Friends, we do not have to fear suffering in this life and hardships in this life if we understand God's blessings for us now 
and for forever. Friends, this is a lesson that Peter himself had to learn. Think about the transformation of his life. Remember what happened to Peter on the night when he was betrayed? Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Remember what happened? The sufferings were increasing. Jesus has been arrested. They seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him, Peter, as he sat in the light and looking close to him, said, this man also was with him. So what does Peter say? But he denied it. Woman, I do not know him, thinking of Jesus. Now, why would Peter do that? Because he was in the midst of sufferings. The one he loved had been arrested, was on trial. He knew his pending death was coming. And he was afraid, friends. Just like what happens in us when suffering comes, we're so prone to be afraid. Peter is afraid, afraid of his own safety in particular here, afraid of what might happen to him, afraid of what is happening to Christ. And so instead of doing good to others in his suffering and using the opportunity to point the people in the courtyard to Christ or serving them, he's sitting by a fire, cowering in fear because he is afraid. And so look at what happens, verses 58 to 60. A little later, someone saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also is with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Peter let the sufferings that he might have to go through and that Christ was going through drive him to fear. Instead of doing good, pursuing good, he became very passive and coward in fear. But Jesus loved Peter too much to leave him like that. Jesus wanted Peter to learn to trust him, to trust his sovereignty, to trust his character, to trust his promises. Jesus wants him to remember his blessings so Peter can do good in the midst of his own hardships. So Jesus corrects him. The rooster crows. Jesus teaches Peter after the resurrection. Jesus gives Peter and, his other, and the other followers the Holy Spirit. And notice how it changes Peter. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. This is not like 10 years later of sanctification. We're talking about not long after all this happened. Within months, this is Peter different because of Christ's pursuit of him. And when they brought them, this includes Peter, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man, Jesus' blood, upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him as right hand, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Okay, what changes here? Not long before, he's cowering in fear because servants are asking him, hey, do you know Jesus? And now he's before the people who killed Jesus. And he's saying to them, nope. You killed him, but God exalted him. What changed in this? He learned to trust God in the midst of his sufferings. He had experienced God's saving grace. As we say over and over, if you have saving grace, you get transforming grace. And Christ pursued him and grew him and transformed him and changed him into being one who was no longer bound by his fear of suffering, but willing to face suffering head on for the glory of God. And friends, God wants to do for us the same thing he did for Peter to deliver us from our fear of future sufferings, from fear of sufferings now, and to reorient our perspective so that we can now do good to others in the midst of our sufferings. Friends, there's no need to fear suffering since it cannot thwart God's blessings for us now and forever. Friends, not only can suffering not thwart God's blessings now and forever, our sufferings become a vehicle by which God's grace increase our blessings now and forever. Forever. They're a tool that God uses to grow us and sanctify us and bless us more and more. So in light of that, friends, I want to ask you, 
the sufferings you've already walked through in life, how have you responded to them? Are you responding to them in fear, like Peter originally? Or are you responding to them in much faith and confidence, knowing that God is in the midst of it? But friends, as we think about potential future sufferings and what still may come, the unknowns that still may come, what happens in your heart? I know my heart can so quickly run to fear the unknown, a fear of not being in control, and the anxiety can come up. But friends, are we letting fear control us, or by God's grace, are we putting off that fear, letting God transform us so that we're not anxious? Instead, we are trusting him and trusting his promises and trusting his promises to bless and trusting his faithfulness to do all that he has said that he will do. And from that place of knowing we're blessed by God, are we finding strength in the midst of our own hardships to bless others as well? Friends, there's no need to fear suffering since it cannot thwart God's blessings for us now and for forever. Friends, that is a good thing for us to reflect on as we prepare to celebrate communion this morning. Because communion this morning reminds us of how we can receive blessings, how a wicked sinner like me and wicked sinners like you can be blessed by God and have his favor upon us. We deserve nothing from God except judgment and condemnation. I deserve nothing but eternal hell, and you deserve the same thing too. Because every single one of us has offended God. Every single one of us has lived for ourselves. Every single one of us has tried to get glory for ourselves instead of giving glory to God. Every single one of us has loved self more than loving others. Every single one of us is full of so much sin, and we've offended the holiness of a holy God. And so all we deserve is condemnation. We don't deserve blessings. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve all these other things that God gives to us. And so communion is a place for us as God's people to pause and remember the incredibly high cost that purchased us the blessings of God instead of his wrath. As we take the bread, we're reminded that Christ hung on the cross, that God in human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, was born of a virgin walked this earth, fulfilled the law that you and I break every single day. He fulfilled it perfectly. And he went to the cross, and when he hung on the cross, all the punishment that I should get for my sin and the punishment you should get for your sin got put on him. And so when Christ cries out, it is finished. The payment has been made. Our sin was put on him, and his righteousness got given to us. As we look at the the juice, we're reminded of his blood. As Rick already read in the prayer time, without the shedding of blood... There's no forgiveness of sins. So we're reminded of the cost that the Lamb of God, that Christ himself died, shed his blood joyfully and gladly to purchase our forgiveness and our redemption. So as we break the bread, as we eat the bread and drink the juice, we are reminded of the sacrifice that was made so that we could be forgiven. The sacrifice that was made so that we can have an inheritance as imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for us. We're reminded of the cost that it took for us to be held by God and guarded by him for that eternal blessing that is to come. We're reminded of all these things, how we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Friends, as such, this is only for those who know that they belong to God. If you do not know that Christ has purchased your redemption, if you're not confident you have saving grace as evidence of his transforming grace, that God is pursuing you and growing you because he loves you and you're being held by him. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is not for you this morning. So as we come to receive it, if that's not you, we ask you to remain in your seat. No one's going to come embarrass you. We just want you to remain where you're seated. This is for those who know that Christ has forgiven them and they're worshiping him and celebrating how our salvation has come about. And for those of you who know Christ, if you know him and you know his grace, you are welcome to come celebrate with us this morning. Be reminded that his body was broken, his blood was poured out to purchase you the forgiveness of sins and all the blessings you have 
from the Lord. As we prepare to receive it this morning, we want you to reflect on these things. This is a time for you to reflect and to praise God for his grace that has pursued you. It's a time for you to talk to God and ask God for more of his transforming grace to grow you. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, we encourage you to take this time while you're waiting to receive the elements or while you're sitting in your seat before you take them to confess your sins and to ask the Holy Spirit to search you. And if he shows you sins in your life, to confess those to him and reflect on his desire to grow you in areas that you're falling short. My friends, it's also a great time to think about what we're talking about this morning. Are we living in sinful fear over suffering? Are we so focused on God's grace that we find strength to follow him, to think about those things and to use this time to pray about that and ask him for his help to grow? So in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, the praise team's gonna come receive the elements first and our ushers will direct you. You'll come make two lines down the middle and then return to your seats and then as the music's playing, you're welcome to take it at any point after that, as you, after you talk to the Lord and pray a little bit about those things. We also have, for those with dietary needs, some gluten-free elements down here as well. But let me pray for us, and then we'll celebrate communion together. Father God, we are so thankful for your saving grace that has rescued us from our sins, and we're thankful for your transforming grace also that does not leave us where we are, but grows us and molds us to be more and more like Christ. Lord, thank you for, just as we saw with Peter, you love Peter too much to leave him cowarding in fear in that courtyard. And so you convicted him of his sin, and you instructed him and taught him. You filled him with the Holy Spirit, and we see a transformed Peter weeks later. And Lord, we know you want to do the same with us. And so, Lord, as we receive the elements this morning, as we look at the bread, and Lord Jesus, are reminded of your bodies, when you see the juice and drink it, you're reminded of your blood. I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts with an overwhelming sense of awe and thankfulness that you have chosen us, that you have pursued us, that you have poured your grace on undeserving sinners like us. And I pray we'd worship you in response. And yet, Lord, we confess that we still fall so short of where you want us to be. Fear and anxiety can plague our hearts. Simple words and actions and thoughts can still occupy our minds and our lives. And so, Lord, areas where we've fallen short, where we've not confessed those, I pray your Holy Spirit will fill each one of us and convict us of things. That we'll take time now to confess our sins to you, knowing because of what Christ has done, we are forgiven, and there would be a sweet sense of your forgiveness this morning. And so, Lord, I pray you would use this time as an act of worship of us, your people, to say thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your pursuit of us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for doing what we could never do. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who does not know that grace, they've never experienced your grace I pray today that they would be very, very aware that there would be conviction in their hearts from the Holy Spirit. And Lord, today would be the day that they confess their sins to you. They cry out asking you to be the Lord. Today would be the day of salvation. Whether it's an adult or a child, I pray today, Lord, that you bring salvation to those who do not know you as they reflect on these things as well. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
sing this together. You guys can stand. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once you're in a me, and I seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Mystery of the cross. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of
collective prayer to the Lord. I'm going to take just a minute where you're standing, individualizing before the Lord now. Just say thank you to him in prayer for his grace that he's poured out in your life. Take a minute and pray to the Lord about what we just sung and celebrated. Dear friends, as we collectively prayed in that song, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. We're reminded of how frail we are and how quickly we fall short. Would you take a moment and ask God for his transforming grace to give you not only the desire but the strength to seek to live for him this week by his grace and his strength. Friends, today we particularly talked about the topic of suffering. If there's areas to where hardships you've walked through have produced fear in your life, would you take a minute and just confess that to the Lord and ask for grace to change? And then finally, friends, we all know people who are suffering and struggling right now, whether it's here locally with the loss of loved ones, whether it's other hardships they're walking through, whether it's globally in the global church and things we're aware of happening. Would you take just a minute and pray for those, you know, who are suffering, that they would experience the blessings of God right now today. Father, you have heard our prayers. What an incredible truth to know that your ears are open to our prayers and that your eyes are upon us. But Lord, may we be a people who cherish that truth this week and find your grace desiring to pray, desiring to delight in you, knowing you are right here with us. So for the prayers we've just prayed, you've heard them. And I pray that our faith would be strengthened this week as we see you specifically answering these prayers that we have lifted up to you today. So have your way growing us and sanctifying us and conforming us to be who you desire for us, your people, to be. So give us much joy as you glorify yourself in doing that this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.